0: This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Meble.
1: And I'm Yannick Maria.
0: And what's up to pick for the Yannick?
1: Apple without Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall.
0: Oh, wow, that's going to be an inter- interesting show for that, that's for sure. Yep. But before we start, I think you also have some follow-up.
1: Yep, so first some follow-up on episode 60, which was Zelda Breath of the Wild. A friend of the show, Ben Frosch, has been playing through Zelda, and he has an alternative opinion, which... Not very many people seem to have, which I would like to bring up as sort of a devil's advocate to all the things that we said on that show, which is, uh, I'm going to quote two of his tweets here, I'm having a hard time figuring out what to do, and then followed that with, I I often think, oh, explore, find things to do, but unfortunately, then that usually leads to, I tried to explore and got my ass whooped by X enemy, (laughs) and then that follows up with, maybe I should just stick to doing safer things. But what content can I actually do? What's safe? How can I tell ahead of time? What areas are going to horribly murder me and which are worth doing? Uh, In his Zelda playthrough so far, he only felt like he was getting punished for deviating from the main path. And the biggest payoff he's gotten so far from deviating from the main path has been 100 rupees. But he can make 10 times that many rupees by just picking up apples safely anywhere and cooking them. So, basically, what's the point of exploring in Zelda if you're just gonna get your ass kicked? Um, I think for the, for the more Dark Souls-y type people, uh, I think this is part of the appeal. It's like, yes, you can explore everything. You will get your ass kicked. But if you decide you're not gonna let yourself get your ass kicked, uh, you can become good enough to actually get through those parts. And people have done it. And next week is SGDQ, Summer Games Unquick. Quick. Uh, unfortunately, Zelda is not there. But oftentimes, uh, speedruns tend to end up being, let's just try to jam ourselves into the hardest part of the game as early as possible with as little preparation as possible. And I think there's definitely some appeal to that uh, for gamers. But if you're just trying to play the game like a normal person, sometimes those kind of, that kind of freedom just ends up punishing you and you feel like, what's the point?
0: Now that was still, I realize that I do have some follow-up. Now that we're talking about Zelda, oh, I forgot if Tony mentioned it during that episode whether if he would stop playing Zelda on the Wii U because he was concerned to buying a Switch, and that happened in the past few weeks. Well,
1: he thought he wasn't going to be getting a Switch anytime soon in that episode. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's true. That's that's, that. Yeah, that's changed. By the way, he has one now. Yeah, he has now
1: for I think the last three or four weeks now. Sounds about right.
0: And. He confirmed with me today that he completed one of the major quests. I was like, oh, major storyline. I was like, what do you mean? So he said that according to what he read and one of the main quests is gathering all of the 70, seventy, seventy five memories of Link from the past before he was frozen stuff. And he completed that today, according to him. So uh, I guess that's good progress. And it was like kind of a, it was funny because it started by saying like, oh yeah, I completed the game. It's was like, uh, what do you mean by completed the whole game? And then he started to explain to me what he meant because it felt strange to me that with all we, uh, with everything we discussed that this game encapsulate. kind of find strange that he did that in a month where in, in that month, three weeks out of four, he was working. So now I understood why and he's making good progress to go Beat it, again at this
1: point. Well, I, I would totally believe it if you just like did the main parts of the game and only did that. You can beat it in pretty relatively short amount of time. Um, but like, yeah, gathering a bunch of story bits that are sprung all across the world is a whole other thing. And it reminds me of my terrible experience uh this month playing Destiny. But we will save that for a future episode. Uh, but yes, I have gotten my shirt. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Your super Uh,
0: expensive shirt.
1: Yes, my $777,777 shirt, which is now $30 thanks to my 900 hours of work on Destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so next up I want to talk a little bit about E3, which happened uh, shortly before our last episode, but we had a bunch of stuff to talk about so we didn't go into it too much. I want to bring people up to speed on what happened with Xbox Scorpio because we talked about that in the past and we never talked about it on the show. So Scorpio is now known as the Xbox One X. Uh, careful observers will notice that if you try to shorten that to something that is maybe like four letters, it spells Xbox, uh, which is genius because it wasn't confusing enough that there was the Xbox One and the Xbox One. Now there's the Xbox and the Xbox. Uh, <laughs>
0: wow, I haven't thought of it. That's nice.
1: Yeah, it's launching for four ninety nine US dollars on November 7th, which... Uh, well there are basically like two big opinions right now unsurprisingly because it's always polarized on either end on the internet uh you've got the people who think xbox one x is the most powerful console ever made this is actually true but it's only true because it came out last of all the other consoles (laughs) i don't think anyone actually thinks like if it had come out like eight months ago it would have had the same specs um Oh, they could but, have
0: played the game of maybe launching after Sony, like a couple of months after, and just say, Oh, we are like it, slightly it was, better. <laughs> yeah, slightly better, something like that.
1: Uh, but yeah, you have that school of thought, which is like Scorpio is amazing and it's going to kill the PS4 Pro and the PS4, and Sony is going to go bankrupt. And you have <laughs> the other end of the spectrum, which I, I don't technically agree with, which is wow xbox one x is not that impressive microsoft sucks balls man and sony is the best even though ps4 pro is sort of disappointing and all the games and all that stuff let's not talk about it uh so yeah uh i guess there has been a lot of coverage in the last few weeks about whether or not the xbox one x is as good as microsoft claimed it is uh one thing we can say for certain is it is more powerful than the PS4 Pro. Like, this is not even a question. Uh, but the difference might not be as pronounced as Microsoft claimed it was. Uh, they made a lot of promises that the uh, Xbox One X would allow native uh, any games that are running currently in 900p or 1080p on an Xbox One to run in native 4K. And unfortunately, if you look at the games that were shown at E3, aside from a few exceptions, uh, everything running in native 4K is a first-party game that had existing 4K support on PC. Anything else that was shown at the show, except for, like, one Unity game with very unimpressive graphics, uh, which is Super Lucky's Tale, which, by the way, Unity runs like shit on Xbox One X, so it's still the most powerful console, but not powerful enough to run Unity. Um, So, yeah, aside from Super Lucky's Tale, there's basically, like, no third-party 4K, native 4K games on Xbox One X right now. Um... There's another exception to that, which is EA's Titanfall 2, which apparently is running at super-sampled 6K on Xbox One X at 60 frames per second in so- some scenarios, which is absolutely insane. Oh, what, 6K? Yeah, it's they're rendering it at 6K and then scaling it down to 4K to have a super-sampled image that looks even crisper, hmm. whereas the majority of Xbox One X games are currently doing the opposite. They're using the same cheats as PS4 Pro, which is either plain old upscaling or checkerboarding to attain a 4k image uh one of the super impressive games that was shown at the xbox one press conference was anthem which is basically bioware trying to make destiny uh which of course is amazing to me because i love destiny and anthem looks fantastic it's only coming out in 2019 though uh so if destiny 2 sucks maybe i'll play anthem 2019
0: yes wow that's a long way
1: ahead well it's two years from now it's about normal for e3 game announcements okay yeah but
0: maybe the reason of my comment is like if they're like already kind of claiming that it's running nice on the xbox one x already like two years before the launch of the game it's i think it's a bit early it wouldn't surprise me it's like it's early for e3 but early to brag about it winning greatly on the xbox one x when we might have a new console in two years, right?
1: We might, uh, there was a digital foundry video about that. Actually, there was like, a if this is the current mid generation, what would a true next generation console look like, uh, in two years or whatever. Uh, so if you're interested in hearing about potential sta- uh, specs for those kinds of consoles, you can go check that video. Um, but yeah, like Anthem is basically cheating to get a 4k image, uh, on the other hand the game looks absolutely fucking nuts like the the post-processing effects they are using are insane um and a lot of people are looking at what was what was shown for anthem and saying there's no way this is a real xbox one x demo that game looks too good uh and basically digital foundry did a teardown of what they showed and if you look very closely like all of the signs are there that this is checkerboarded this is fake 4k so it's possible that this is a true xbox one x demo and that the game actually looks that good and the fact that people couldn't really tell the difference from real 4k is the proof that it doesn't actually really matter however this also backfires against the xbox one x because they were hyping native 4k native 4k and now that the games are proving that they're cheating and that people can't tell the difference between the cheating and the, for- the real native 4k means that maybe people won't be able to see the difference between Xbox One X cheating and PS4 Pro cheating and the PS4 Pro is cheaper and has a wider range of games right now. So all of that is coming into play. That is more or less what happened with Scorpio at E3 and we'll continue to follow up on this uh, as the console gets closer to launch. Uh, on the other hand, like, Microsoft games all look fantastic. Uh, one big omission, though, is Halo Master Chief Collection was not announced to be coming in 4K. And that was, like, the one thing I was looking forward to seeing in 4K. Because, like, to be honest, I, being a fan of Bungie and Destiny, I really want to go back and play the Halo games. Unfortunately, it turns out there's, like, no good way to play Halo anymore. Because you either have to buy an original Xbox, which are all dying very quickly. There's no good Xbox emulation. And the remaster on Xbox One is basically the only sane way left to play <laughs> Halo. Uh, so I was thinking, like, maybe I could buy an Xbox One. Maybe I
0: could Whoa. buy an Xbox Whoa. What? No, no, well, no, 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 Well, no, no, no. not
1: an X, not an X. Maybe an Xbox Still, One S, mm- but just to play, like, the first three Halo games and then sell it back no. or whatever. Okay.
0: If you sell it back, you need to get the Switch, though.
1: Oh, my God. Let's not talk about the Switch right now.
0: (laughs) Come on. We could do something
1: with the Switch for this podcast. That would be amazing. You can buy it for me.
0: Oh, man. I can buy you coffee when your debit card doesn't work, but not the Switch.
1: Uh, Well, that's too bad. Uh, We should probably get to the main topic. Yeah. All right. So this week's topic follows up on a recent series of interviews from the uh, Computer History Museum, uh, with the team responsible for putting out the original iPhone to commemorate 10 years of the iPhone. Uh, there was also another interview, which was much shorter. It was like an eight-minute video on the Wall Street Journal, which basically like takes the same exact things that were talked about in that two-hour presentation and boils it down to eight-minute sound bites. Uh, I would honestly recommend you watch the Computer History Museum one over uh, the eight-minute Wall Street Journal one. Uh, but I guess if you're really constrained for dime, you can do that. Uh, the presentation was called putting your finger on it, creating the iPhone. It was moderated by John Markoff, who was apparently the tech columnist for the New York Times for a really long time. Although I can say we were not a big fan of his work, uh, during the interviews, it seemed like he had no fucking clue what he was talking about, which is not a good thing considering he was the tech columnist for the New York Times. Uh, Part one of the discussion was with Neaton Ganatra, Scott hers and Hugo Fiennes? Fiennes, I don't know how to say that word, uh, three members of the original iPhone team. And the second part, which is the part that is most exciting, is a one-on-one discussion with Scott Forstall, former C- senior vice president of iOS software at Apple, until he was fired in October of 2012. Uh, so... Part one is certainly entertaining if you want to watch that, uh, but it largely sticks to publicly known information. So if you have been scouring the web for all the information you can have about the iPhone launch, you probably know most about uh, most of the information they revealed in that. Uh, part two is really where the meat is, uh, because this is Forstall's first appearance in a really long time. It is not the first time he has actually spoken uh, to the media since he has left Apple. In fact, he spoke to the media uh, and even the tech media when he, uh, announced that he was producing a Broadway play, uh, a Broadway musical, sorry. He um, even
0: spoke with the tech media? I forgot about that part. He,
1: yeah, he had an interview in Wall Street Journal, um, but, like, There was one question about technology and the rest was about like, what the fuck are you doing on Broadway? (laughs) Uh,
0: So, which the backstory about is what the fuck is he doing in Broadway is super interesting. It's yes, I would say you can pinpoint like If you see people in computer science or any like tech domain, you'll realize that they have always something on the side to another passion. Like personally, it's cars for Yannick. It's insert whatever you want here, Yannick. Uh, And for him, it was acting, and I think he he was really fond of writing scripts, if I recall correctly, or producing. And then he just, like, obviously, he's well-known, and he had, uh, I think he met a famous producer, Broadway producer from, like, Common Friends or something like that. You should just
1: watch the interview. At Metallica's guitarist's birthday party.
0: Yeah, something like that. But he was like, yeah, I've, like I wanted to do that uh, at some point, and I have free time because I've got fired. Come on, and you know it's just interesting this backstory of like why and is pa- why is he on Broadway and his passion for Broadway itself.
1: Yep. So Forrestal, during the interview deviates a little more from what was publicly known, which is great. Uh, he shares some touching personal stories and a few entertaining bits as well. Uh, So definitely go listen to that uh, if you haven't already. That said, it's not really a prerequisite for the show, so you don't have to pause and listen to it right now. But it is definitely encouraged for anyone who loves Apple and loves Steve Jobs because there are lots of similarities between Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall, which we'll surely get to in a little bit of time. Uh, The reason I sort of wanted to do this topic is because I realized that we started the show in 2014 after Steve Jobs had already died and Scott Forstall had already been let go. So we never actually got to address the topic of how different Apple might be because of their absence and why not take advantage of this uh, this opportunity to do so.
0: And it's an important... I think at this point, it is an important kind of milestone. It's five years after he left and it's kind of, at this point, six years since Jobs died and uh, Tim is uh, running the boat. So I think people started like in in the past few weeks, people started to kind of reflect on that. They, yes, this year is that big 10 year anniversary. And like five of those were some key members that were part of the original team are not just on Broadway. So it is, people started to have kind of some reflection. And I think part of what Yannick and I will address that is our reflection about that.
1: Yep. Uh, before we go into that though, I do want to, to just give people a recap of why Scott Forstall was let go by apple uh because some people might not be familiar with it if they're not super into the apple uh stuff so apple has never actually come out and said why but a few things appear to have contributed to it from the outside uh so one of the things that happened uh before he was shown the door is apple maps uh came out and people were getting lost in the desert and dying. Well, okay. Like one or two people did, but that was bad. Um, and Scott Forstall refused to sign the formal public apology for Apple maps, uh, that Apple put on their website, uh, despite being the highest placed directly responsible individual for the maps project. Oops. Oops. Doesn't look good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And
0: from the details we got is he was forced to do it and then said no.
1: Right. Um, I can't really excuse that, so I'm going to move on. Uh, There were also rumors, uh, but these were, I I think this was less confirmed than the rest of the stuff. This was sort of crackpot theory, I guess. Rumors that Forrestal was on a power trip and trying to gather as much power as possible to overthrow Tim Cook as CEO. I mean, I would believe it, but I don't think there's any proof of it.
0: Yeah, and it felt to me at that time that it was kind of more of a justification of people that didn't like the person. Compared to maybe something that was going on behind the closed doors. Yeah. Because it was always accompanied on stories that were saying, oh, yeah, he's bad. You don't want to work with him and blah, blah, blah. Like really negative story about uh, Forstall. And it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, along those lines, uh, there also appeared to be significant personality clashes between Scott Forstall and Bob's man- Bob Mansfield, Big Bob Mansfield, uh, who used to be SVP of Technologies, uh, but now he's working on unnamed future products, and Johnny Ive. Uh, both so, John- whoa, Wait,
0: so Bob is still at Apple?
1: Yes, he's still there. Remember, he, he quit once, and then he unquit because Forstall was gone.
0: <laughs> no, I remember, but I always assumed that when he said, I, I'm unquitting, it's just to say, like, okay, I'm on quitting to make the transition for my retirement easier than just, like, completely quit abruptly.
1: It's rumored he oversaw the development of the Apple Watch hardware, but there's no proof of this because he's just working on unnamed future products. Uh, Right now, the rumor is he's working on whatever the hell the car is, uh, but we don't know. Um, So, yeah, so both Johnny Ive and... Bob Mansfield would refuse to be in a meeting with Scott Forstall without Tim present to mediate which is some grade school bullshit right here Um, but yeah so in the end Tim decided to choose Mansfield and Ives Talent over Forstall which leads us to today Uh, I just want to raise a bit of similarities between Scott and Steve real quick Uh, Scott and Steve got really well ever since they met during his interview at Next funnily enough uh, which is a story he tells during the presentation and steve basically guaranteed him a job no matter how the following interviews turned out uh really i think it's like a chance meeting because i have no idea what the fuck steve jobs was doing in Forsall's interview to begin with but i mean it led to great things so i'm happy it happened
0: yeah i think it's something he kind of implied too it was like yeah steve was just around and then came in i don't know why but he came in. <laughs> It's <laughs> and he so weird. A, yeah and he has this kind of a, like Like super expressive face when he was telling that story. And and it's funny because it just reminds me, I think the most word we exchanged during uh, the live presentation of that interview between Yannick and I was, oh my god, it reminds us of old keynotes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, Scott and Steve appear to have been more or less inseparable uh, ever since they met, which is kind of funny. Uh, We heard numerous stories about phone calls back and forth with Steve every day or multiple times a day or eating lunch with Steve which is also a great story uh and i think it's pretty safe to assume uh i think this was in the autobiography by whatever the guy's name is uh i tr- i forgot what his name is because i don't like the book but uh, uh, Walter, Walter Isaacson Walter Isaacson and in that book he said something to the extent of like i built some kind of invincibility situation for Johnny Ive where he can't get fired by anyone except me and I'm not going to fire him. So he's basically untouchable in the company. And I think, again, I have no proof of this, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that Scott basically had the same thing as long as Steve Jobs was alive. Would you agree with that? Or maybe it's just implied invincibility because they're so close that you wouldn't want to piss off Steve by firing. It's hard to tell which is actually the case, but
0: I think if we take a step back nowadays, I think it it was an implied one compared with maybe IVE where it was like, maybe not written, but more like it add more of a foundation to it.
1: I don't see how the foundation is really different though. If you actually like put, you put great trust in the design of this person and that design is sort of integral to the success of your company, you might want to protect that person. In the same way, if this person is integral to the operating system that the future of your company is built on top of, wouldn't you want to protect that person as well? Oh, yeah, totally. But what I'm saying is, if
0: at this point it was kind of a choice of one or two pe- people uh, compared to him, and what we are led to believe is, if you were to choose between him and I've, I'd would just rise up. And that's what I'm saying is, even if when he was still alive, uh both of them kind of had no-fired policies on them because they were so close to jobs, it felt to me that I was still kind of in his Ivory Tower. Like he was really untouchable. And maybe forced all with what we heard about his attitude uh, towards other exec, maybe it didn't help and uh his own Ivory Tower.
1: Perhaps. Uh but yeah so when Steve died that invincibility implied or explicit went away with Steve. And that meant that basically any line he crossed could be used as an excuse to show him the door. Um, and that's what they did. Um, so similarities between Steve and Scott, uh, both are incredibly charismatic and passionate about their products. Um, I don't think there's anything to argue here. Uh, both appear to have a very similar or mostly common vision of what the future of computing for the mass market should be. Uh, and we will come back to this because I think it is something very important. Uh, Both have enough ability to introspect and judge if something is good enough to be trumpeted from the rooftops at Apple levels of superlative and adjective usage. This is basically to say, if they say their product is good, they actually believe their product is good and they're not bullshitting you, and these people have such high standards for what they consider to be good, that it's good.
0: Except when it's Apple Maps.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Let's forget that one. (laughs) Oh, it's good now. It's good now. It's TomTom's fault. (laughs) Apple Maps is like the rocker of software at Apple. It's like, it's the thing you want to throw off the stage after you're done with it. Oh, my goodness. And I say that as a fan of Apple Maps, I should say. Uh, I even have, uh, I I don't know if I told you this, um, I have a keychain that Maddie bought for me in Japan, which is a reference to a fake train station that apple maps put in a random spot in japan that everybody was tweeting about that became a meme so i have a train sign as a keychain for that fake station wow i need to uh (laughs) you need
0: to show me that when we see each other again
1: yes i I should well i don't carry it with me i leave it at home which is why i basically have to not forget um do you have any other similarities that you'd like to bring up because i uh, one of the things about today's show uh inside baseball info is that uh I had to rush to do stuff because I came home late from work and we moved the recording at the last minute a day earlier. So I had nothing prepared. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but maybe one similarity is is I think you, and that has been discussed quite publicly, is their personality is... is, uh,
1: Symbiotic?
0: Yeah, but those two are... Either you love them or you hate them. Polarizing that's what I that was looking for. I was like, and they are polarizing. They have polarizing personalities. And I think that's what they, that's their personality that made them great, but also made them their biggest default, right? Their biggest yeah. problem.
1: And I think if you draw a parallel with Pixar for a brief, brief thing, uh, it, Pixar, there's this thing called the brain trust, which is basically here is this high council of people who have worked for Pixar, at Pixar for a really long time, who know what the fuck they're doing. And they will give you the most blunt feedback possible for your ideas or art or whatever they're reviewing of yours. And you are expected as an employee to accept that blunt feedback as terrible as it may be or whatever and make what you will of it. And I think like they are the brain, they were the brain trust of Apple in many ways is they are going to tell you if something fucking sucks because they are the arbiters of taste in the company, and I think I don't don't want to steal my other points too much, but I think you were always open to argue with them if you thought your idea was actually good, but you had to have the balls to argue with Steve Jobs, which not everybody has, and uh, the balls, you, you, you need to make sure that you have the
0: arguments. Yes, too, the, right? that
1: is also a very thing, but if you can make a case, then they are perfectly able to accept your idea if it if you actually prove that it is better, but you have to fucking prove it.
0: Worst case scenario will just end up you'll like fight so much that it'll be tired, and then you'll be like, yes, 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 we'll have iTunes on i, uh, we'll have iTunes on Windows. Yes, okay, okay, close.
1: Yeah, but I think you have to be a pretty high placed executive to actually be that persistent to the point that Steve Jobs basically doesn't kick you out and says, okay, whatever, fuck you, do Fair. what you want, uh, because they're the only ones with the power anyway. Okay, so I have some worries about Apple.
0: Ooh, and. Don't tell me it's about the iPad. Don't...
1: Oh my God. Okay, so a brief aside. This week appears to have been the official week of bitching about the iPad on, uh, well, on blogs and in the media because Joshua Topolsky basically posted like this tweet storm about like how much he hates the- using the iPad for work. And then today, The Verge posted an article about how much they think the iPad is not capable of replacing a laptop. And like, what the hell like did everybody coordinate and say like this week we're all gonna bitch about the ipad it's gonna be great uh i don't know it, Someone, there,
0: there was too much too much positivity after WWDC. we need to balance
1: that out oh is that what that is okay i think i think it is okay but anyway back to worries about apple so let's start with the first one which is i don't know what the vision is going forward for apple Uh, Some other people have said, like, what's the mission statement for Apple Incorporated? Uh, And I am not that level of, like, obsessed with the mission statement.
0: Uh, Wow, wow. Is that your business voice?
1: (laughs) Yes. Wow. It's my corporate voice. Ah. Uh, Yeah. But um, I'm more interested in the vision and specifically, like, product-specific visions. Like, what are specific products aiming towards in the long term? Or what is the company aiming to do long-term? But also, like, just weird initiatives that are popping up inside of Apple. So there's this one Steve Jobs anecdote about how he hates the idea of R&D, because if you're just making R&D projects that result in cool technology, but that cool technology never gets used in a product, then it's wasted time and effort. I... I agree with this, like 75%. I think there is still value in having cool technology that you can you have in your back pocket that you can pull out when you have an actual good thing to do with it. And not having wild R&D projects means you don't necessarily have that stuff. You have to rely on acquiring people who do the R&D projects as startups or stuff like that. Um, you know
0: what? And I think we have this year a good example of what you've said. I think, yes. AR, I think ARKit is that.
1: Yeah. So my my next point was, what's the end goal of ARKit? It's just like a pile of tools that aren't doing anything. Uh, what's the product behind ARKit? Like there there might be glasses, Apple glasses, and maybe that is the end goal. And this is just like a way to introduce the technology to bring that out in the coming years or something. What's the end goal of whatever the fuck Apple is doing with the car? <laughs> Like, I, it, we've heard that the product of the actual car has basically gone away, and now it's just, like, licensing self-driving car software to other companies? Like, what is the end goal of this? It's just, like, weird R&D shit that wouldn't have flown if Steve Jobs would have been there.
0: And maybe to go back to the car example, I would say that even if it sounds crazy to say Apple would be building a car in the same way that Tesla is, it feels more close to kind of Apple's current goal of selling shit to consumer compared to let's build technologies for other people.
1: And if we go back to like the year 2000 and we go and tell people, hey, Apple is working on a portable music player, they would laugh in your face and they would say, like, why would Apple be doing a, por- a portable music player? Uh, it's just like not in what you consider Apple to be. And I think, like, the car is in a similar space relative to where we are today with Apple, where, yes, Apple is... Well, at the time, when, when the iPod came out, Apple was still considered to be Apple Computer, a computer company. But now they're a consumer electronics company. But do you know very many consumer electronics companies who also make cars? And that's...
0: Oh, yes, Mitsubishi, because they build... Oh, that's like, true. That's they build, true. <laughs> they build electronics in Japan. And, um, Matsushita. Yeah, so see, I have an example for that.
1: Okay, okay, okay. But that that's like the one. <laughs> <laughs> it is
0: the one. On, oh, does Samsung build cars? I don't think so. I don't think so either, but that would be
1: funny. <laughs> that would be can, hilarious. Can, it would just you... be a copy of the Apple car.
0: Oh my goodness. But can you also imagine an electric car that has the same batteries as the Samsung Galaxy Note 7?
1: No. That well, would be a disaster. I would also like it if it didn't burn down.
0: That Yeah, that would be a complete disaster.
1: Yes, it would. So please, Samsung, don't get in the car business. Um, so yeah, the, the question is really like, is there a product in sight with all of these tech initiatives? Or are you just doing it because you hear investors talking about the next big tech trends and you want to get into that? Um, and I think like there's nobody at the company right now who has a vision. It's sort of just like, like, uh, I'm sorry, Tim Cook. I love you, Tim Cook, but you're not a visionary. You're sort of an operations guy. And I don't think you have what it takes to decide what the future of the company's products should be like you're not a product guy you're an operations guy and you can understand a lot of things about what makes apple great doesn't mean you have the vision to actually carry out what is good for the future of the company and like uh, a couple years ago there was some uh, criticism about ipads being introduced with like no clear story Uh, the marketing was just like, well, it's an iPad, but thinner, but nobody really knows what the iPad is used for and sales are declining. And this is the new iPad. And you have the Apple watch was what, which was here's this watch. It can do a whole bunch of shit. And that was the story. (laughs) And it turned out that people were interested in like two things on their watch, two or three things on their watch and nothing else. Uh, But their original pitch was like, here is this tiny computer on your wrist. uh, And it was not a very compelling case, except we were suckers and we bought it anyway because it was really pretty. Uh, So I don't know. Uh, The vision thing, it worries me a lot. And you know what? I think
0: I, I see what you mean, right? Because previously the vision was kind of let's go in that direction. Like the whole company needs to go in that direction. And it feels these days. And it's in my opinion, it's not a downside, but it's just a different way of thinking about it. It feels to me that there is maybe less of a, like, central vision or, like, let's go in that direction. And each product just go with their mini mission statement. And, okay, so we want the iPad to do this. We want the watch to do this now. So we realize, yeah, we maybe throw a bunch of spaghetti on the wall with the watch. And now we realize fitness is good. People love fitness, let's do fitness. So the watch should focus on fit- fitness and notification, like we mentioned in our previous Apple Watch episode. But for that, it is a vision on the product. But you still have kind of an, let's put it this way, an element in the past, right? Because the element of the past is either a reaction to the market, the watch is a good example of that, or just building on something that is already there. good example of that is the iPhone, iPad, and Macs. And then you have those projects. You mentioned the car, we mentioned Kit and all of the machine learning stuff oh, where oh my goodness, where they build tools for devs. So earlier when I was saying that it's weird that Apple is building tools for other companies to build product, the only way they do that is for developers to build on their platform. And if they're not able, like, if you go back to what you were saying, if they're not able to a product those kind of more general technology that should be used by others makes less makes less sense to me compared to a technology that is just sold everywhere as white labeling
1: yeah definitely okay next point on my worries about apple is their confidence in their products uh and i think we can sort of just as a general case refer to the macbook pro incident amongst other things how can Apple come out and be super confident about products that are either below the bar of quality for what Apple should ship, or falls so short of what consumers actually want out of the category of device they're making? Um, I I know people like like to joke and say that like Steve Jobs was super cocky on stage and he would say things and hype stuff up, and you either bought into the hype one hundred percent, or you thought. This is reality distortion field, and everything that Steve Jobs says is bullshit, and Nokia phones are going to be the future of smartphones. And uh, I fall on the believe Steve Jobs hype thing. Uh, You can be as cocky as Steve Jobs during a uh, product introduction if you have a proven track record of blockbuster products that actually live up to the hype. But... Right now, Apple is sort of releasing inconsistent products. Like, you have stuff that's really, really great, like the AirPods. That everybody loves the AirPods. Well, maybe not how they sound, but they love the actual rest of the product. They might uh,
0: not like that it still takes six weeks to get shipped
1: to you. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, dude, the watch bands, the Nike watch bands. I have in the new Nike watch band, the midnight blue one. But, like, certain colors are taking six to eight weeks to ship. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's a piece of rubber. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I feel you man, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the inconsistency in product quality is taking Apple further away from this brand that they had created around Steve jobs, which was, yes, I'm going to be super confident in saying that this just works, but it's also true. And slowly as they keep like misstepping with their inconsistent product quality. They're just turning into yet another consumer electronics company that's sort of overconfident, makes average products, and thinks they're the hot shit. And I don't want Apple to be that, because that is what people spent years criticizing Apple that they might be when they weren't, and now it might actually become true. And I've been arguing this for years, but like, it's especially true like in the last year. Yeah, that,
0: I think even to, at this point, it is a bold statement to make. Yeah. I would say that... Yes, we might be in that path, but do you think we see, um, I would say, do we, we think we see correction to maybe change the route of that path? Like making sure that, oh, no, no, we don't go in that route and then we come back. And I so, think that's where your worries lies is you are unsure, you're unsure whether Apple has the tools to kind of reflect on itself to make sure that they don't go in that path.
1: Well, they don't have the clear vision that they believe in, right? So we've established that. Like they don't have this clear goal of where they're going. So they sort of have, okay, well, we just need to make what people using these products actually want from these products. But then they came out with the MacBook Pro and like (laughs) I've, I've argued in favor of the MacBook Pro because I think it's actually a great product, but I'm playing sort of doubles advocate here because clearly a lot of people are not happy about the MacBook Pro. And I'm sort of the only thing I sort of, I'm sort of not happy about with the MacBook Pro is I think they're aiming a little bit too much towards power conservation, but like otherwise I love the product. Um, and where the fuck was I going?
0: <laughs> Man, I you feel- were you no, know, you were talking about like playing a bit of devolved advocate with your arguments. Yeah, they-
1: so, so I keep bitching about the MacBook Pro. I actually really like the product, but clearly the people who are buying that product don't want that product. They want something else. And I know that like you can argue in the past, like you gave people the iPod and people were bitching about all the limitations of the iPod. You gave people the iPhone and they were bitching about all of the limitations about the iPhone the problem is that like now people are actually switching to PCs and like this is I know several people who have done it and that is worrisome when your market is actually rather small uh, Mac wise and like maybe it's not the iPad that's going to kill Mac's maybe it's the PC that's going to kill Mac's I can't believe I'm actually fucking saying this because it's so stupid because PCs are going to die too but uh, I mean it's possible uh, I have seen enough of a wave and of lack of confidence in the people. And the thing that gives me hope that they might be able to turn it around is the iMac Pro because like every, well, not just the iMac Pro, but like everything they showed at WWDC about the Mac to try to establish that good faith relationship with the community that yes, we remember what you guys want now. It's a sign that they're in the good direction, but it's not a sign that it won't repeat itself again after that batch of products is released.
0: Yeah, we right now, if we go back to your MacBook, your lovely MacBook, for example, <laughs> they did already release an update. They fixed some flaws. A good example of that is the keys and the keyboard. They are oh tweaked a bit. No, but ignoring all of the comments about the keys, I'm saying, like, <laughs> they already did improvements on that design.
1: I'm just thinking about Marco's thread of, like, eight tweets this week about the fucking keyboard. That's all.
0: Fair, fair. But my point being here is they are showing good fate and yes, they've started to deliver on some, but they will need to continue to deliver on it in the coming years for yeah. it to continue, not in the coming months only.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, anything else to say on the overconfidence before I move on to the next thing? Uh, no, that's okay. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. Uh-oh. It's an easy question because there's no answer. Who oh, is crap. the creative dictator that's orchestrating Apple's products right now?
0: oh come on, that's good but You can't say it's not true. I thought that was kind of Ives role right now with his uh CDO and the chief design officer. He's kind of yes, no, yes, no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes on every design. Do you
1: think he's good at it?
0: Uh no 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 no, I wouldn't say no. I think you're you want me to say no? But I don't think so. I think that's what you're driving at and that's you're kind of showing your opinion. I think he's pushing well, I, the too much. I, I don't think he much. plays the
1: role that I was meaning by creative dictator so much. Because, like, you think of creative dictator, you think of someone like Steve Jobs, who is, like, the creative, bo- uh, not the creative bottleneck, the ultimate bottleneck for determining, determining if something is good enough or not to go out. Like, in some ways, he's the real quality control because, like, I don't care what the quality control department at Apple is actually doing. Like, Steve Jobs is the actual person who pulls the decision on whether, yes or no, you ship the product. Um, and I think, like, if people have made analogies over the years. I think Gruber did this. Uh, they called Apple a not-tour uh, consumer electronics company when Steve was still around, to steal the term from cinema, where he was basically like building everything around the image he had in mind and with the vision he had. And he was very much a creative dictator in that he had. A global understanding of the vision he had an understanding of the technical limitations what is and isn't good design and he had good taste and like we said earlier like unlike other kinds of dictators we have in this world he's actually open to negotiation if you're actually able to prove your idea is good which again you have to do but if you can but like i see johnny and i like i know he's technically like chief design officer or whatever but like I don't think that's his role in the company. His role is to say, like, oh, yeah, like, the MacBook design looks actually pretty nice, except maybe we should use a different kind of material because it doesn't want I know. he. I think he has, like, much more. I don't know. I, I think, no, he, I, I think I, he's I, not good at UI, like, period. I, I, I think, think he that, should not be touching at UI. No, I think you're just on the close to
0: put your finger on it. You said that in the past, Job was the product dictator. And with I, we have the design dictator. He's saying yes, no on designs, but doesn't mean that...
1: But I think Steve Jobs is involved in design as well. Yes. Both the UI and hardware design. Like, he can recognize what is a beautiful thing. He can rec- recognize what is a practical design. And he is able to fuse the two together to actually give wonderful products. Whereas right now, I think you have, like, like you're saying, like the design dictator. But I don't think he's actually that much of a dictator in the design group that much. Um,
0: but what I meant by... The... He has the
1: final say, though.
0: Uh, what I meant by the product is product encapsulates a lot of things. Yeah. Mostly <laughs> design on the hardware and software, but also the technical side on both hardware and software and also how people will use it and what are our customers and stuff like that. If you if you take all of this and you only like strip out everything and just keep design, you might be in a situation with where we are with Ive. Where it's yes, no on that design and then we don't care if the keyboard doesn't click that much or that it's so thin that you cannot put a bigger battery. So yeah, have fun with your new MacBook Pro.
1: Well, that actually kind of leads me to the next point, which is this famous quote, which is design is how it works, not how it looks. And I feel like Johnny IF sort of falls on the side where it's more how it looks, especially nowadays where it's like, Johnny, I love you. I love your laptops. But at some point, you have to stop making slim laptops and actually make laptops that solve the problems that your customers are trying to solve. And, again, this brings back to the fucking MacBook Pro, which, again, I feel stupid because I love the MacBook Pro. But, like, I recognize that it is not a perfect product for a lot of people. And I feel like instead of fixing, uh, creating laptops that solve the problems that uh that people have, he's trying to build laptops that are incapable of dealing with the problems that people have, therefore the problem no longer exists, or something like that. <laughs> that is more or less how I've come to... Basically, accept what is going on with the laptops right now. Because, yeah, des-
0: designing out some designing out some customers out of your product line.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that's necessarily good. I think like the Pro laptops in particular, uh, because I I don't want to touch on iMac Pro and all that because I think they're doing a good job there. But I think like MacBook Pro in particular is like, well, at a certain point, what is the difference between the normal MacBook and the MacBook Pro except that it has a faster processor and an extra USB C port? It's like the design the actual distinction of being pro is more about performance than it is about actually being able to accomplish more pro type tasks which is kind of baffling to me um and there's a flip side to this which is which is the four stall card i'm going to play it uh design is also how it looks if it impacts how it works and this is bingo skeuomorphism boom <laughs> Skewmorphism is good when it makes the user interface resemble an object that a user is already familiar with so that they can rely on knowledge they already have to understand how something works instead of having to learn how it works. And, like, you can bitch about felt and leather all you want. I don't care. If buttons don't look like buttons, people are not going to randomly start pressing on every bit of text. Um, Come on, Yannick, Yannick. You're so in the past. Slide to unlock? was genius, and now we have sort of bastardized trying to unlock your phone into how many fucking ways, I don't know. Like, now you have to press the home button? What the fuck is this shit? (laughs) It was so elegant. He did the slide to unlock demo, like, five times in a row because he was so proud of how intuitive it was, and then people are like, yeah, you know, slide to unlock, yeah, maybe we should just, like, change it so there's no more shapes, and there's just text that says slide to unlock. Maybe we should do that and then it was like, okay, maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe we should just make it so that there's text telling you to press a button. And I'm like, what is going on? There's such a downgrade. And like, it, there's a bunch of other UI tragedies uh, at Apple, like the music app, <laughs> uh, which I've been using a lot this week.
0: Ooh, wow. Are you watching Planet of the App? That's why?
1: No, I'm listening to Beats 1, actually. <laughs> but Ooh. uh yeah. So I think the iOS 7 redesign went too far in the opposite direction. iOS 7 redesign is sort of a protest in uh, to the very idea of skeuomorphism, and they basically were like, "Let's stop making buttons look like buttons. Let's stop having cutout shapes that sort of indicate that there is an interaction here that can happen if you drag from left or right, and replace it with text because it's cleaner. Uh, let's try to aim for stuff that looks." Good in Helvetica in an art book instead of stuff that is practical and easy to learn and intuitive, and you look at it and you know how to use it. And I have seen this because I have, uh, I have family members who have iPads who upgraded to iOS 7 and then like half the knowledge that they already had about iOS, which they had before they used iOS because everything looked like how it worked, went away because now Johnny Ive is on like crazy Helvetica drug trip i love helvetica by the way but you can overdo helvetica believe me
0: wow okay I, th- I think we could summarize this episode of things you like but also dislike at the same time
1: <laughs> the Pro, and also helvetica and also yeah i guess that works um so where am i going with all of this well i think we've established that there's a lot of similarities between how steve jobs and scott Forstall were and i think that Scott Forstall shouldn't have been the CEO. In fact, I don't think, like, he belongs as the CEO because he doesn't seem to know anything about business, uh, which is sort of something you need if you're a CEO, unless you're Steve Jobs, where you're like, Hey, I'm CEO, but actually, I'm the product dictator, so fuck you. Tim Cook is going to do all the business stuff anyway and deal with it, Uh, which he did. Uh, But I think Scott Forstall could have been... uh, Well, actually... Shortly before uh, Steve Jobs died, he basically stopped being CEO and became what was called chairman. And I think he could have been chairman and he could have been the same creative dictator that Steve Jobs was because they were so intertwined in how they thought about things that I think it would have worked and he would have continued to produce products that are similar to what we had in the Steve Jobs era as opposed to what we have now, which is sort of this visionless, overconfident average product that the Tim Cook Apple is putting out and it's still slightly above average because it's Apple. They have the DNA to actually make higher than average quality products, but you are used to a very high bar and they have come down a lot from that bar and they are closer to average than they are to the high bar that we had when Steve Jobs was around. And I think it's unfortunate that Scott Forstall was put out, uh, I mean, I understand that, yes, there are politics in a company. Like, I have yelled in conference rooms as well. Like, I understand what it's like. That's why I don't have a job anymore. Uh, but Oh, what? Oh, wow. That's <laughs> well, not a this bo- new job, the old job. Uh, but, like, well, it's not why I don't have the job, but whatever. Uh, I think, like, Apple would be in a better place product-wise today if Tim Cook had played to go for scott Forstall, as opposed to mansbridge and Ive. and i'm saying this with a big asterisk which is i have no clue what happens if mansbridge goes away is because we don't know what he does <laughs> yeah that's it's good. possible that like the entire apple campus falls down if he leaves the <laughs> building like we don't know because like literally no one knows what he does you know what on a, on a side on mansfield
0: I really want to know what he's working on because you know what? I miss him in presentation. He I do on.
1: too. I loved him. He was so cool to have in videos and now he never shows up.
0: Yeah. I don't know why, but, uh, um, it's the voice. Yeah,
1: maybe. I think so.
0: Can you imagine him in, in the like, uh, hardware presentation for the watch? Uh, it would have fit him perfectly, but huh? No, he's busy with the car.
1: Yeah, I guess. Well, maybe he's driving a car around, uh,
0: or he's designing the next Bentley for Johnny R.
1: Hmm. Uh, so yeah, so, so ignoring the fact that we have no idea what Mansfield does, and therefore it is very hard to actually quantify what the impacts of what him going away would be, um, I think Johnny Ive, I'm going to get so much shit for saying this. I think Johnny Ive is a little Ooh. bit overrated in the year of our Lord 2017. What? Wow. Okay. I think he has no business touching UI stuff because he has proven that he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, I understand that they are coming from the school of thought that design is design, and if you understand how to design a physical object, then the same values that should go into designing a, f- a physical object should also go into designing a user interface. However, as we've established with the MacBook story, we can sort of say that maybe he's sort of lost touch of what the design should be on the hardware products too but having that compound onto the UI is sort of really bad because that was another place where Apple was far above what everyone else was doing. And now they're just sort of flailing around, putting out the same kind of samey flat, nondescript UI as everyone else. Uh, I mean, now they have the crazy ass iOS 11 New York times headers at the top of every nav controller. Congratulations. Uh, But um, I'll just read the New York times. Thank you.
0: Wow. Okay, so you end on a joke about the New York Times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking about what to say, but could have been. Uh, because
0: I, I was a bit worried, a bit, but that's okay.
1: And uh, like we discussed, we were chatting live while uh, the interview series was doing what was going on, and we were talking about like I-, I was talking about how like Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall are more aligned with my personality of like you are going to be blunt and. Maybe you're going to make people upset, but those are things that need to be done in order to produce quality products. And I just love the quality products that Steve Jobs at Apple was putting out. And I am just disappointed these days at Apple product releases. Like sometimes there are gems that come out like the W1 chip, like on the headphones I'm using right now that are blow away products, but it's gotten so inconsistent that like I just have a lower standard and I'm like, eh, at had a lot of things. And a lot of that is because it's just like incremental Mac updates and I barely use the Mac anymore, so I don't care. But like, even the iPad last week, uh, not last week, at WWDC, when they announced the new iPad, I was like, eh, whatever. I mean, like, promotion, I'm probably gonna like have my socks blown off by that. Uh, yes, I, you will. Yeah. Yes, you will. Yeah. I am sure I will. And I will probably be ruined by it. But having not seen it, I'm like, Eh, okay whatever and like the other thing is i'm looking at the exchange rate and at the stores on the apple store uh the prices on the apple store and i'm like yeah 120 frames per second like i know what that is i've seen it in vr but like is it worth a thousand two hundred dollars on a new ipad yeah maybe not for another couple years like it's very hard and i've had my ipad for almost two years i think uh no a year and a half. Okay, so... But yeah. Um, it, it's just becoming difficult to be an Apple fan and continue to be excited to the same degree that I was during the Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall era. And I think Scott Forstall had enough of the Steveness inside him to actually continue to propel Apple to those heights that we could reach before. And now that he's gone, it feels like a weird sort of... What if Apple was designed by committee?
0: That would be problematic.
1: Really well, problematic. that's more or less how I feel it's being run right now. It's a bunch of people yeah. who don't know what they're doing who are trying to be Apple. And that lacks what I want from Apple. And it's why I'm sad that Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall are gone. And I know Scott Forstall is sort of, like, not really doing anything tech-related right now. Like, the extent to which he's involved in technology is he's an advisor to Snapchat, which is kind of fascinating because Snapchat is sort of a terrible design of an application. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you do have... I think we both have strong uh, arguments against the UI,
1: but, yeah, I think... It's It's gotten better recently, but it's, like, a tiny bit better, but it's...
0: And I don't look at their... uh, it's not I, i'm not is that stories not that the stories but the one that you if you're like the verge or new york times or any other brand. i think it put,
1: was called explore or something before yeah, but i don't remember yeah, what it is it is explore
0: now. it is explore that that UI always confused me i don't know if they change it but the first iteration was always swipe based and i like it didn't and they were like they never like, like tooltip or anything to show you what to do never but oh well you just try and then it works or not,
1: doesn't. Just swipe the screen until something happens that you wanted to happen. And that is how you learn the Snapchat UI. It's completely the opposite of good old iOS 1.0 forced all accepted designs.
0: And I think I do have the good comparison to do, maybe to conclude and then show what is your opinion and mine. And I think the reason why you're a bit, uh, way more worried than I am is you start to think that if we take a good example, that will relate to apple is disney like it was funded by it was founded by its founder like went through a big peak peak with its founder then stayed like grew steady they were able to do stuff and then it feels that we are in that era where it seems things are going well but we don't know if it's going super well or it's going to be really bad soon and for disney for example it went Pretty bad, and then they just came up. They found a way to, maybe not relearn themselves, but invent themselves again in a different way where they could survive. And I understand with you that part for an hardcore fan like we are both are is sad and worrying. But personally, we're still. I still think that we are in good waters for that. We're not in trouble waters. But I think you think we do.
1: Actually, I'm going to end with. Uh, sort of looking back at something that Steve Jobs said, which is uh, shortly before he died, he told Tim Cook, don't run Apple. Well, don't try to do what I would do. Um, And I think there's value to that. And a lot of people at the time of his death said, Apple has the culture within it to continue to produce great products. And I think we disagreed about what we meant by culture. And when I said, like, there's a culture in apple that is going to continue to produce great products i thought we were talking about the design dictator thing i think i thought that someone was going to be named to be like the product guy in capital letters and take steve jobs place and yes that person would not be steve jobs they would have different opinions and different visions for where the company should go and that is fine but i think like right now A company that has always been defined by its creative dictator. Well, the times it has been successful anyway. Let's forget about the 90s. (sighs) There was a person in charge who who was the tastemaker for the entire company and decided what is the personality of this company? What is the vision for the future? How do we need to approach design to reach the audience we are trying to get to? all of that stuff. And some of that, and again, it's like a wide variety of domains. And I think that's one of the things that makes Steve jobs unique is he had the understanding of all those domains. And I think it's one of the things I I can relate to because I have like earlier, you were talking about like, we each have our thing on the side. Like you were, you didn't name the thing that I have on the side because I have like so many fucking things on the side. (laughs) Like Apple needs a creative dictator who is as in touch with all of those different fields as Steve jobs was not going to be Steve Jobs, but can produce creative dictator-led products that are Apple-esque in how they were made and therefore could result in Apple-like quality. It's possible that you have a creative dictator in there who is perfectly knowledgeable in all those domains and has a shit vision about where the world is going to go and no one wants to buy those products, but at least they will be aiming to try to create something within a vision in a way that was Apple-like. Whereas right now, I just think, like I, I said, designed by committee. Like It's a little extreme to say that Apple is designed by committee right now. But it really feels like a bunch of people flailing around and not knowing to- what to do because they don't have the dictator telling them what to do. And now everyone is just trying to create almost Apple products, which is the- what the rest of the industry is already doing, which is why it seems average. Anyway, that's all I have. Good. I don't think this week we'll have show notes that much unless... We well, we, we can like link a... to the computer history museum thing.
0: That's true. That's true. It's... Uh, it's uh, Whether you like YouTube or Facebook, I think we will be able to put both links. But I think the... And fixed... I
1: can link to the Wall Street Journal thing as well.
0: That's a good idea. And I think they fixed the audio because the audio was pretty, pretty like uh, muted from the Facebook Live event. I think it's now fixed on YouTube. I'm not sure how to watch it. <laughs> wow. But... If you go on limitlesspossibility.net slash 67 you'll be able to find those links regarding this week's episode. If you want to if you want to Take a look at our back catalog of episodes. You can also go on LimitlessPossibility.net. The show is also on Twitter where you can find its latest news. And it is at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find myself on Twitter at at Canouche, That's L-U-C-C-O-N-U-C-H-T. If you want to have a good dose of Apple stuff and car stuff. If you want to have a good dose of Apple stuff. bitching about the current Apple and a lot of other related things. You can find Nick on Twitter
1: at Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A, although I'm not tweeting as much as I used to because I now have a day job.
0: Yeah, but you're still good. You're still better than me at tweeting, though.
1: I, I I'm good at shit tweeting. I'm not good at <laughs> tweeting anything actually smart.
0: Oh, come on, come on. And we'll see you in two weeks.
1: See you in two weeks.